Heidi Ho, and welcome to Gameplay Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn, a storytelling game radio show featuring guests from the New York City Hive Beyond with me, your lovely host, Aaron Levine, and theme music as always by Jasula. Thank you so much for hanging out with me here today on this lovely Sunday afternoon. My goodness, the summer is still happening, and um, it's really those dog days, isn't it? I'm feeling it, whatever it is. It's just me in the studio today, no guests, recording on my own here today because I made a promise to y'all that I would at some point finish The Mysteries of Addie C, which is a solo tabletop role-playing game that I played a month ago or so, but I only got about halfway through it because that game has a lot going on with it. Like, it's just a really, a very long, massive story, and I really wanted to do it justice. Uh, But now here I am, a couple months later, a couple months older, a couple of months with new-ish experiences, and I am here ready to continue telling the story I have a feeling it's going to be with a little bit of a different twist because when you think about telling a story and when you think about how you tell stories or how one tells stories, there's, of course, it's important to have a a sense of continuity with it. But also at the same time, I feel like it really depends on what energy you bring to the space and whatever energy you bring to the space is the story that or is the energy that the story feeds off of for that day. For example, uh, when I write on my own time, while I do often have like a plot and a plan for what's going to happen in the story, um, I often find myself trying to lean into the moments where I feel like I really want to be doing something else with the story at that time. And I think we might be leaning into that a little bit today. Uh, Last time we explored the mysteries of Addie C., We spent a lot of time exploring kind of the quiet creepiness of a haunted house. Uh, As a side note, um, because The Mysteries of Addie C is in fact a game about a paranormal investigator exploring a haunted house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, And so we're going through the 13 rooms of this house and trying to experience it. And also I kind of set up a story where um, our main character was basically hired to explore this house and see whether or not it was safe for living humans to live in this space again. So that was kind of the premise. It was kind of a quiet story. Um, I'm feeling like it needs a little bit something more. I feel like that's kind of where I felt after leaving off of the Mysteries of IDC last time, uh, which If you have not listened to it, I highly recommend you do. You should check out our archive available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts for the most part. That's really the best way to follow up there and listen to all of that. And of course, you know, check out the rest of our uh, backlog as you go. We have two and a half years of it. But it was very, I'm, I'm feeling like it needs... It needs something more today. So I have a feeling that uh, whatever we get into this afternoon is going to be something uh, very interesting. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. Um, And thank you for going along this journey with me. It's a little bit difficult to have content warnings at the beginning of a game because sometimes, especially with solo games, I'm not exactly sure what's going to come up until it happens. Uh, But do keep in mind that this is a horror-themed, a creepy 
role-playing game um, about being in a haunted house. And so far in the previous story, um, I spent a lot of time insinuating horrors about being trapped, horrors about body autonomy uh, was a big one that I was into at that moment, um, and possibly the implication of uh, further violence. Um, and I have a feeling that this might uh, go further into that. So um, if you find yourself uh, looking for something a little bit more comforting or something of a different variety, again, go to our archive. We have it all there. We are not an all-horror-themed show. I just seem to be into it these days. Um, I guess something about the summer just says creepy to me. But, you know, I feel like every once in a while, um, I feel like something that I've been, at least I've been trying to acknowledge in myself is the fact that stuff can be creepy. There are scary things in this world. And I feel like pretending that that things are not scary, um, that things can only ever be devastating or hopeful or manageable, like feeling like there are only a couple of ways to experience emotions. I'm trying not to do that right now. Um, and maybe this is a conversation I need to be having privately now instead of in front of a microphone. So uh, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> We're going to take a left turn here, um, a, a nice big old left turn right into the gameplay radio lane, a.k.a. We're going to get into some story because I have been talking for long enough about myself on live radio. But before we get into the game, you know what's up. I know what's up. It is time to tell you some announcements and things going on in the Radio Free Brooklyn community and at the station. So we're going to get on into those. And then we're going to get into the spooky times. Are you ready? Let's do it. Brady for Brooklyn is sponsored in part by ProCare Biomedical Repair, offering little or no cost medical braces. More information is available at 844-598-6639. Also, Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. As it has been for so many, the pandemic year, still ongoing, has been difficult for us financially, and every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. Please help by pledging whatever you can. Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Finally, if you like listening to Radio for Brooklyn, but you don't like listening to it when you're in front of your computer or you don't want to have like a weird window open on your phone while you're listening to it while you're on the go, uh, consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone or Android available at the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. That way you can have an app for that. (laughs) Okay. Now it is time at long last you have listened to me chatter for long enough now we are you're going to listen to me tell a story for the rest of the hour for this afternoon on gameplay radio here on radio for brooklyn okay let's do it we're playing the mysteries of Sea, written and designed by jessica l washburn it is a solo journaling game where we play as a paranormal investigator staying 13 nights at a haunted bed and breakfast in the quiet seaside town of Bethany Beach, Delaware, which I just realized earlier in this hour, I said that this was located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but that's because I was misreading. And technically the house was built 
by someone from Pennsylvania, but it was supposed to be a retreat from Pennsylvania to Delaware. So we're already doing great here. Um, it's a haunted house. It has a great big history. And we are playing paranormal investigator Whitney Johnson. We have stayed six nights at uh, the Addy Sea where we have been exploring several different rooms, exploring a number of different, mostly mild, mostly mild so far hauntings, except for uh, when we explored creepy room number 13, where we sat in that room, or Whitney sat in this room and felt like she was being soul-sucked, essentially, like her, her soul was leaving her body and she felt trapped in the room. Whitney has proven herself to be someone who is like scientifically fascinated and engaged in the practice of examining paranormal and post-living life. This is on Sensor Radio, so I'm just going to say it. It seems like she gets a bit of an interesting... She has a bit of a hard-on for weird things happening. She gets really excited about them. Uh, but mostly in like a, a like a kind of a quiet scientific way, which always comes through interestingly when I do not have the scientific words to back it up. But we're going to try anyway, because this is the character that I have created. Whitney Johnson is exploring the Addy Sea with her trusty equipment at her disposal, uh, which is an infrared thermometer, a digital voice recorder, an EMF sensor, a camera with night vision, a ghost box, uh, which sweeps AM and FM radio frequencies, and a journal, which in this case is the microphone of which I am speaking through, and you are... Uh, listening to the sounds that I am making at some point. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of basically the setup. It's been interesting. The last room that we were in before part one ended was we were in the attic. We were in the room in the attic and there was this creepy full corporeal ghost of the maintenance man for the building. Uh, and he basically was repeating very creepy sayings about changing the locks until they stop asking, which seemed to imply some sort of semblance of being trapped, which uh, Whitney was very fascinated to witness here. Whitney is indeed witnessing a lot of interesting things, uh, and she has six more rooms to go. The way I have been picking rooms so far is that I do have a little dice with me to add some variety, to add a... Uh, surprise. So I basically roll this dice and whatever number comes up uh, and correlates to a room that we've not been in yet, I go to that room. That's basically how it goes. I thought about creating a narrative where she actually took a step away from the house in between these episodes that you're listening to here, but I think the whole and honest truth, truth about Wendy Johnson is that I don't think she's someone who lets go of a mystery until it's solved. I don't think she's someone who leaves things half explored. Once she discovers something that she finds interesting, she kind of latches onto it until she is satisfied by what she has discovered or what she thinks she has discovered. And so I think she's literally just been doing this uh, kind of a little bit more of a descriptor here. She doesn't sleep during the nights that she stays in the Odyssey because she wants to experience the paranormal things happening there. Um, and instead, she um, sleeps during the day. So she's kind of she's kind of turning into a bit of a nocturnal, and she will be for the next week. But the sun is setting again on the Addy Sea in this little beachside town. It smells of salt 
and seaweed and mildew as she steps back inside. And let's roll the dice to see which room she's staying in tonight. I got a 10. So we're staying in room 10. And each, each room has their own like little prompt here, so I'll be reading that. Room 10. Located on the third floor, this room has an oceanfront view, a king-size bed, and a private bath with a spa tub. Ooh, fuck yeah, I love a spa tub. Um, it is said that a family member of the Addy family had a terrible accident on the roof of the mansion. Their pacing footsteps can go on for hours. Interesting. And it has a number of different uh, questions and prompting tools that we can use here to, to kind of tell the story um, of what Whitney experiences in this room. Like, do we use tools? Do we hear the footsteps? Do we see the wanderer? What do we learn? So we're going to just try and see what happens. Let me get into character. It is officially day seven of my explorations of the Addy Sea. Whitney Johnson here reporting in once again. Uh, we have officially reached the, the midway point of my explorations of this location. Um, and it has been, as I've said many times, a very fascinating experience to see this whole house. Each room has a different story that seems to be attached to it, but I can't help but feel as if they're all connected in some important way, especially after uh, meeting our... Um, deceased individual in the attic who really tried to purvey some sort of sense of of constant security in a way which was fascinating um but i've just departed the hotel again and i am sitting in my car in my um traveling vehicle with a little van there's a uh, you know mattress in the back where i'll probably take a nap after i finish recording this because i have just spent the night and if anything, my experience of this room has even confirmed further that something is going on here that I did not fully expect. Something pulling everything together, something less innocent than just a house full of memories and a house full of lives. Because I, I was in room 10, and the story of room 10 is that a young man, um, a cousin who lived with the family for a while, he stayed with the family and would often assist with uh, repairs, supposedly, often internal ones. Um, but then there was a request for him to do repairs on the roof of this building at one point in time. And I think, yes, that was the time of the terrible accident when he fell off of the roof and um, essentially dashed himself against uh, the rocks on the side of the building so close to the shore. It was horrible, gruesome, apparently. Uh, this happened a long time ago, but uh, this death was painful. It had to have been very painful. Um, and the, so the idea of there being these pacing footsteps above the roof, I, I mean, I was fully prepared to be experiencing that. Um, but I think what was interesting, I did not use my tools. But when I listened to the footsteps, because there were indeed footsteps, those reports were correct. They weren't just footsteps. They sounded like they were almost running. 
And, and I mean, who would run on a roof, you know, like very dangerous up there, but, and I, and I followed it. It took me a couple of tries. I, I tried to trace, trace the trajectory of those footsteps, um, because it seemed very circular and then very, uh, direct. And after a couple of moments of following and listening carefully, I realized that I, what I was listening to was what it sounded like was a man running off of the side of the roof. Which is a very different story from the one that was printed and reported about this young man who passed away so long ago. He had a apparently very tragic end, but it almost seems as if it was... intentional. I was not there at the time of this uh, young man's struggles. I am completely unsure where the impetus for this struggle, for this sprint towards a departure from a physical corporeal life came from, but... It is a very dire thing, a very sad and truly tragic thing, to decide that whatever awaits you elsewhere in this non-existence is better than what you current than what one is currently experiencing. Um, and everything that I've known, that I've heard about this young man prior to him arriving here, implies that he was a very happy, comfortable. I mean, he was a happy, comfortable, healthy young man. He went to school and joined a cult of men at his university, as one does through hazing rituals and experiences, and uh, had made bonds of friendship, and was then maintaining those friendships after he had graduated uh, when he moved to the Addy Sea for a time, which would end up being the rest of his time, of course. But... One can belie these things as well, and it's very difficult with having this knowledge, but I can't help but feel as if perhaps something happened to him while he was here to lead this along. For one thing, uh, from my experience of being in the space, in the energy um, of people who have departed this world by intentional means, they typically do not remain. They typically do not want to remain. And it's a terrible lack that one usually feels in the space, and yet here I am listening to the sound of this young man uh, walking on the roof every evening, or supposedly every evening, here above room 10 at the ADC. And he has decided to remain here in this moment. And he's holding on to something. So there must have been, there must be something, some decision he made in trying to jump off that has kept him here, has kept him tied to this house in a way that perhaps implies something else is happening. I wonder if perhaps he was trapped. I wonder if perhaps everyone in this house was trapped in some way. Hmm. The house seems to certainly be letting me depart every morning. So I'm not feeling the effects as of yet myself, but we shall see. All right, Whitney is going to, she's going to take a nap. She's really tired. It's really hot out. So she rests through the blistering heat of the day and we're going to roll again to see what room we're going in next. We have ourselves a seven, room seven. Located on the second floor on the south side of the house, this room has an oceanfront view, a king-size bed, a spa tub, my favorite, 
and shower with privy closet and a mini fridge. Hey, this room has been known to have peeling wallpaper and spectral eyes eerily watching guests between midnight and 2 a.m. Hmm. Evening 8 complete here at the Addy Sea. The rooms keep getting more and more distressing the more I stay here. Some of them are mild remembrances, but it feels distressing. I stayed in room 7 last night. Regardless of, of how long or what I was doing or how still I sat, I, I still saw every once in a while pieces of the wallpaper would just curl in on themselves and then pull away and fall to the floor. It's almost like it was shedding the room. I imagined that there had to have been something that was that was doing this, that was doing the deed in front of me. So I so I pulled out my camera with night vision in order to see visually visually discover the whatever the ghost and it was more than I was expecting. It was not just one individual, but many, many, many individuals. All slight in figure, all young-seeming women, whether they were copies of the same person or different women. It was hard to tell. They weren't fully clear, but they, they were individually going to the walls and with long fingers pulling at the wallpaper until it fell away and continuing to pull away at this wallpaper and paw at it and claw at it. And it was difficult for me not to feel affected, of course. I was witnessing what seemed to be an experience of horrid emotional distress. It, it certainly brought in mind to me an experience which it, re it really did, uh, at a certain point, spur me on to this uh, paranormal profession where I found myself being punished as a young child by a horrid babysitter who I, I thankfully never had to see again, but who decided that the form of punishment that I, would, I, that I should take for, I don't even recall what it was for, for requesting too much, for asking for more food, for begging for a later bedtime, things that children always ask for when their parents are away. A little bit of more freedom, a little bit of release from the requirements of being a um, responsible child. Um, and this babysitter decided that the punishment would be that I would get none of those things. I would get no rest, no comfort. I was pushed into the cellar and she closed the door and I was in darkness, and it was cold. I recall being very still. I was concerned about disturbing anything that might, might be down there. In the evening, that cellar, it was a steep flight downstairs, and we didn't keep much down there. A couple of boxes, perhaps, but it was cold, and it was around the season that we could expect to have potential rodent problems in the in the cellar. We've had that before, or we had that before. It was always unfortunate. And I remember not wanting to disturb anything and standing very still. I couldn't even move if I wanted to. I was scared. I was very scared. 
it felt as if I, if I moved, I would never move again. Um, or something could grab me or take something from me. And I do recall in that space, something, something was breathing down there. That wasn't my lungs, it was someone else's breathing. And I knew I wasn't alone, and it wasn't an animal, it was something that felt human, this feeling. And it was the sound of this low, deep breathing, just in and out, going... Needless to say, I was very, very scared. I could not tell where it was coming from, but it got very close to me. And it was like that for I don't know how long until I was thankfully discovered by my parents. The babysitter who had thrown me down there had fallen asleep on the couch, and so I was rescued by my parents, thankfully. I ran out and fell asleep almost immediately, wishing to dream of better things. It was many years until I felt brave enough to try to go into that cellar again in the evening. And I went down there, and the sound was still there. But it felt like it was more breathing with the house. It was fast. It was, it was fascinating. It, re- it was. It was. It felt like I was in the presence of something much older than I was, but that didn't really exactly care or pay attention to my presence at all. It was very absorbed in itself and its own breathing. It actually felt vaguely peaceful. Every once in a while, I find myself thinking about myself as a child in that room and the horror and distress of the young being trapped. And re-experiencing it last night was very distressing. I felt very poorly for these children. I did not see any eyes. That was not something I witnessed. Perhaps those who thought they saw eyes were actually seeing these children looking for a way out. I'm very concerned that this was a place of deep distress for many people. I'm not even just concerned. I'm fairly sure that this was the case. It's been a week of this. But we have a few more evenings left. Alright, let's roll again. We're going to room five for a ninth night here at the Addisee. Located on the first floor of the eastern side of the house, this room is dedicated as a kitchen during the waking hours. The staff give you weird side glances when you ask to stay the night in the kitchen. I think we established that Whitney Johnson is staying in these rooms alone. Like she kind of, like they vacated the house. But I could imagine that uh, the staff have been popping in during the day. So I'm sure that would make still sense if I if Whitney Johnson were to ask for a cot um, from the staff so she can spend the night in the kitchen. So, cool. Uh, more description about the kitchen. It is said to be the place where utensils find their way into unusual homes. Knives embedded in the wall, forks find their way occasionally into the seats of chairs, spoons slip themselves into pitchers of lemonade. Okay. 
Good morning from the other side of evening number nine here at the Addy C. Whitney Johnson reporting. The kitchen was a welcome reprieve from the many experiences of the many experiences I've had in the bedrooms um, of this abode, which seemed to be filled with such distress and horrible experiences of being trapped. It was uh, somehow nice to, especially I feel like after last night, being able to rest in a place that felt truly open and available to people. A place where living beings often often pass through and toil during the day uh, in a way that is not just for rest, but in order to make and create. Uh, this is always been something that I have found myself comforted by after spending a long time among the paranormal. The difference between those that are paranormal who are clinging to and pushing and demanding life for themselves versus those that are still yet alive and there is this uh, remaining existing sense of potential and creation, energy not disappearing into the uh, void of space between life and death, but more life making more life of itself constantly. And that energy is felt here. And I think it does, I think it does help. Actually, I think it is something that is that has had an effect on this place and on the individuals here. The only uh, paranormal activity in this kitchen are the utensils. Kitchens and places of work, of toil, often involve an experience of, of music, of sound in that way. And so I decided that I would activate my, go- my ghost box that I have with me in order to see if I could catch any frequencies of things that people have been listening to this room experiencing, uh, perhaps giving a little bit of context to whoever might be moving these utensils around in almost poltergeist-like ways. Poltergeists are always terrifying for the living, of course, I would say at this point, much more preferable to uh, the horror of uh, the memories and imaginings of um, oppressed individuals in one location. Um, so I I did activate the ghost box and I swept it through radio frequencies and came upon one of this room, which sounded almost as, almost like an operatic ballad of sorts. If one were to listen to um, an opera where a tragedy strikes, I once once and uh, witnessed an operatic version of Romeo and Juliet. And something that really struck me about uh, that performance, aside from the fact that those performers have astounding lung ca- capability, truly a gift, was that towards the end, as everything was unfurling for the worse, everyone who was suffering got a solo performance, a minute or two for them to sing out their personal pain and suffering. Um, the, the performance I, I witnessed was in Italian, um, but this language of this sound on this frequency was one of, I'm not positive what language it was, it didn't match any of the linguistics that I imagined. I am certainly not an expert in linguistics, so I did attempt to get a recording. So perhaps once I return home, I will be able to research and discover what language this might have been if it was a language. But it felt very grand and interesting 
considering the existence of this room, um, but I didn't, it's not like I saw utensils floating around anywhere. I mostly saw utensils, um, I sat in my cot and every once in a while I would glance around and I would find, I would see that the utensils moved, um, a knife in the wall, a fork suddenly appeared underneath my pillow. That was a, that was a surprise, but it felt almost as if a disjointed type of serving, you know, I, I speak lightly of this partially because I'm just so relieved to be out of that previous room. But when you think about the context of it all, the idea that the frequency that would be displayed would be one of an individual singing of suffering. It certainly ties into the image that we already have of this house, does it not? The fact that the utensils are moving around, I believe that just speaks to a memory of... Or a memory of these utensils, utensils being used for some purpose. I don't think they were used in violence per se, but I think these utensils were given and served to many individuals in many different ways. And perhaps whatever memory or spirit or being is um, controlling these now, perhaps they do not quite remember how they were used before, but instead they remember a feeling of independent suffering in um, loneliness. I could imagine. From the sound of the um, song that I was listening to, uh, and thus are trying to turn to the craft, but are perhaps not able to without the memories. If their only memory is the emotion, then they would not remember the actual craft of cooking and serving. So, a milder version of what already seems to be very thoroughly embedded in this house, which is the idea of isolation, of people being trapped in individual rooms. There was a moment when I tried to open the door to depart the kitchen at the end of the night when the when dawn broke, the music died away, where it felt like the lock stuck a little. And I had a moment of concern, but then it opened. But I partially wonder if there will reach a point where I will have been here too long and the house will see if it can entice me into staying. We'll certainly see. The time is almost upon us. Let's get in another night. All right, room number eight. Located on the third floor on the west side of the house, this room boasts garden views, a small twin bed, and a private bath with a spa tub and shower. This room is rumored to have cold spots, and guests have reported feeling as if someone was standing closely behind them, only to turn around and find nobody there. Oh, lord. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, considering what I literally said um, a couple minutes ago about Winnie's past, this is going to be very interesting. All right. Are you ready? Are you with me? I hope you still are, listeners. Let's keep going. This is Whitney Johnson, having completed evening number nine at the ADC. I return to you, recorder, very concerned, um, having experienced a significant amount of stress, or a significant amount of distress last evening, as I spent the evening in room eight and experienced almost identically the same feeling I had when I was a child trapped in the cellar. I 
was in this room and I, I settled, sat in one of the cold spots and tried to witness what was going to happen there. And as I, as I sat there, I, I discovered that there was that breathing again. It was right there, just right next to my left ear, just breathing. the whole night and I could feel the cold in my fingers and my bones I could feel this and my heart I felt almost exactly the same as I did when I was a child as well I felt this distress this feeling as if I was unable to move I'm I'm frankly just astonished that this this house seems to have um a conscious awareness of not just me and my presence here in this house, in the in the space of these memories, but also a conscious presence and an attention to who I am as a person and who I am just outside the walls. I when I last told the story of my childhood experience, I was outside of the walls of the house. I was not even I was in I was in my van. I was about to take a nap. And yet just by the effect of telling the story in the space, the house seems to have heard me in, a some, in some way and used it against me. The house used my memories, my, my fears from my childhood against me. But was it to scare me off? Or was it to trap me there in them? Because as I said, I felt as if I was unable to move at that point in time. It has been a very long time since my fear response has been stillness, stiffness, frozenness, inability to function. It has been a very long time since I've been in that space. I think of it often because it was a moment of deep intensity for me, but it was a very long time since I've been there. If this is how the house is reacting to me, how will it react to other people who enter into this house? Are the other staff all right? They don't stay, they're not staying here at night. And when they came by to provide me with a place to rest while I was in the kitchen uh, the previous night, they seemed almost relieved, if even healthier, than they had been when I first arrived at the ADC. They seemed, when I first arrived, they seemed, well, they seemed perfectly healthy. They seemed all right. But now this time they seemed um, lighter and more energetic, like brighter, less gray. Perhaps... Perhaps it's the house after all. Perhaps it's the house. I'm going to start making copies of this recording and mailing them to my home address so that should I find myself be fallen to some horrible experience here that makes me unavailable to pass along my recordings, they will still be discoverable. Perhaps I should send a copy to my employers as well, but I'm not sure if I want them to know until I've figured out if there's anything else they should know. So let's see what happens. Into danger we go. Let's go for the next night. Room number three. Located on the second floor on the south side of the house, this room, like room one, which we haven't been in yet, has an aside ocean view and a king-sized bed, and a mini-fridge. This room is rumored to have windows open and shut on their own accord, and a breeze that smells of hot steel and sweat 
permeate throughout. Evening number... 10? 11? I seem to have lost count. But this is Whitney Johnson reporting in from the Addy Sea after experiencing another room in this house. This house is very clever. Last night I was I was in room number three, and it was it was very hot. I was sweating the entire time. It was very warm and it smelled of mildew and heat and um, metal. It felt like everything was slowly getting hotter and it was it, it made me feel very heavy. However, whenever the windows opened, a slicing cut of cold air would blow into the room. It felt like a different kind of burning. It felt sharp. The, the cold wind from the open windows hurt more than sitting in that heat. I felt overwhelmed with the need to close the windows. I could feel as the wind hit my face, hit my skin, it felt like my entire skin was going to crack open with the force and the cold temperature of this breeze, and I had to close the windows. But they wouldn't stay closed. It was I tried closing them just manually at first, and it did not work, and then I started trying to move furniture in front of the windows, and that did help, but um, that sort of behavior is only necessary in dire situations and I but I found myself perpetuating this and it felt very it felt like a lot it felt thinking about it as the sun rose and the the heat the heat died down as the sun rose I felt raw I felt exhausted I also realized that what I had done was I had essentially closed the windows the only method of, of escape from this room other than the door into the house i closed those windows out onto the beach and i closed myself in it felt like a trick i think the house wants me what is behind this wanting it has clearly trapped people here before it has a history of people in this house suffering Changing the locks until they don't ask anymore. Room 13. Perpetuating the memories of my childhood. Why does this house need people? I'm not sure, but it seems to be asking something of me that I'm not sure if I can give. I will try my hardest to continue to show resistance as much as possible in the evenings ahead. Hopefully, I don't believe too many more. Let's go to the next night. Room number nine. Located on the third floor on the south side of the bed and breakfast, the room is home to a side ocean view, a king-size bed that has seen better days, and a mini fridge that has a light bulb on the verge of burning out. Guests have reported that the bed of its own accord would lift several feet off the floor and be dropped, jostling them from their slumber. Another evening complete at the Addy Sea, this is Whitney Johnson. Guests have reported the bed lifting off into the ground at night, but I suspected that perhaps if the house was so intense on the individuals in the bed that perhaps it was only lifting the bed as a more reasonable method of attention grabbing. 
So I, I decided to stand in the room and wait and see what would happen. I took out my infrared thermometer to try to kind of detect if there would be a, a change in, in temperature in the room as whatever was going to happen for the night would happen. And indeed, as I stood there looking at this thermometer, and it got hotter and hotter and the temperature started shooting up, all of a sudden, I felt gripped by my own shoes, by my own clothes, and I was lifted into the air. I was, I was lifted into the air by the beings that live in this house. What's interesting is that it didn't feel as menacing. It felt euphoric, to, to be frank. It felt as if, it felt as if I could fly. I, I don't think in, in my many years of exploring paranormal incidents have I come across a situation where I have been engaged with so directly, so physically. This house, this existence was intentionally holding me up. I, I experienced all of these, these feelings of strength and warmth, but not uncomfortable warmth, but a good, a good warmth. It felt, it felt indescribably good as I was being held by whatever this is, and I felt almost powerful from it. And then, all of a sudden, I was let go and dropped to the floor, and I felt, well, I, um, I twisted my ankle, but I felt an indescribable loss from it, from losing this, this feeling of power from this house. And it felt as if a lure, as if I was being asked to stay. Again, that asking, that request of commitment to a place. But what bargains, what bargains did someone make in order to retain that feeling of euphoria, to embed it so fully in this room? My knowledge of Room 9 is that this room used to belong to, um, used to be the location of the, the main owners of this house they stayed here. And I wonder if perhaps, if, if perhaps there was some sort of thing, some sort of arrangement that they made that coincided with a history of, of the land here, a feeling of, a, a history of people trying to make land that is not theirs feel like it is rightfully theirs by their existence, by claiming it, by claiming power and authority, but also perhaps the subversion of that. If What if what one built was turned into a place of prison, a place of punishment by drawing individuals in and forcing them to stay here? What if this is a punishment repeating over and over again? I wonder. Only a few nights left, I think. Alright, next room is going to be... In fact, we only have one left, everyone. It's the first room. Room one, everybody. Are you ready? We're gonna do this. Located on the second floor on the south side of the house, this room sports a side ocean view outside the windows, a king-sized bed, and a mini-fridge. The most distinct feature about this room is a quaint copper tub that has been reported to shake. This is a phenomena that is unique to this part of the bed and breakfast. 
Whitney Johnson reporting in. By my count, I think this is, at long last, the final room at the Addy Sea. This is a place that has been truly turned into a, a trap for those who would stay here. By, not, by my reckoning and, and remembering, the Addy Sea was built in Delaware, and it sits on stolen Algonquin lands, and it sits on a deep history of death besides and and I will say that I think this house was ready to show me that last night I did not take a bath in the tub but I did fill it and as I went to turn the water off in the bathtub in room one the water continued to fill while the faucet was off and it was filling from the drain up but it wasn't just filling up with water it looked like the water was turning a different color it was turning red red blood red there was blood seeping from the pipe at the bottom of the tub and it was shaking from the effort that much was true from the reports but i perhaps wonder if maybe it reached this level of intensity because i have been staying in this house for so long and listening and blood seeped up out of the pipes of this tub and seeped onto the floor and started bleeding everywhere. It seeped into the floorboards, it seeped through my shoes, out into the bedroom, out down the hall, into the house. Everything was blood. And as I stood in that blood, I... it was... it was sticky? It was sticky. I, I tried to move after a certain point, and it just became harder and harder to move as the blood seemed to oxidize and become this thick thing that clung to me and I could feel like it was it was trying to tell me that I was going to I was going to meet the same fate I had to find a way to convince it that I was I was there to witness I was there as a witness I was not there to use the space in any way that would be of harm I was there to observe and I needed to find a way to purvey to them that I could stop I could stop the cycle of individuals being in this space where they clearly do not want people to be in this house because I have with definite assurity decided that no one should be living in that house no one should be going in that house that house should not exist it should not have existed in the first place so much should not have existed in the first place but it does exist, and it has this history and this memory, and it needs to be freed of this. But I had to convince, I had to be able to depart so that I could make my report, so that I could move in this direction, and I had to find a way to convince them, them being the individuals who live and control this house, which is essentially a prison for those who should not have been here, who stole this land. It was very difficult to figure out how. I sacrificed my phone. Because my phone had an email with the contract on it. My recording, all of my instruments are separate. But my phone had a copy of the contract that was assigned to me with this job. And I um, pulled my phone out of my pocket, pulled it up on my phone. And I, I tried to drop it into the blood at my feet, hoping that... It would be able to interact and read it. I did get um, a little electrocuted. I'm okay. But I am at a medical center as I report this. 
the house took my phone. But it did let me go. So I am hoping that this means that it accepted what I was trying to communicate with all of my being at the time. That I understood why it existed, why the house was the way it was, and that I wanted to help. The thing about being living and being able to create things is that when paranormal or non-living beings occupy that space, sometimes they require they require those that can still make something new to make something new for them because they are not just clinging on to the past, they're clinging on to something that is wrong, something that they recall, something that something that that drives them to to retaining a form of their control over the world. But what is often the case with paranormal beings is that that control is limited. It is like trying to cut one's hair and discovering that all one has is a plastic knife in your hands. You have something but it doesn't do what you perhaps intended. And enough mistakes have been made here. I am going to put in my report to my employers and let them know that this lot is untenable. It is unsafe for live human occupation and that it must be returned to its original owners. The land must be returned to its original owners and I will hopefully find a way to help and open those opportunities for that to be the case. I admit that Perhaps because I am a perpetuation of the stealers, those who stole this land to begin with. Perhaps I am not the best person to be doing this, but I I have a power. I have power here. I have my life. I have my capability. And I sincerely hope that I can contribute as a living being, that I can use my life to create and create something for people and for the past. That puts them first. Because that, that's, that's what almost anyone wants is to be put first. But for some, um, it is more necessary. And for some, it has been a long time coming. Once I am discharged from medical care, I will be writing my report and proceeding into 
the work of being alive. And that's what I will do. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was that was the mysteries of ADC. Wow. That was that was interesting. <laughs> um, I hope that I I I feel like I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while. And thinking about what it means to uh, yeah, just thinking about what it all means. I kind of ended it in a place that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, and I hope that you have been too. But wow. Um, this was, this was an interesting practice and I'm, I'm glad I did it. And thank you for being on this journey with me here on Gameplay Radio, here on Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, with me, your host, Aaron Levine. If you like what you hear, you should follow us on Twitter at GameplayRFB, or brand new, you should follow us on Instagram, just started. You can get uh, my personal Aaron Levine ramblings at Aaron K. Levine. And make sure to check out our archive wherever you find podcasts. And that's it. Thank you so much for being here. Gameplay Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.